This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I'm recording this a lot later than I normally would, so I've lined the whole room with shop lights and have armed myself with a high alcohol content porter to hopefully keep the enthusiasm level as high as I normally do, because I really do love this stuff and I want to make sure each section gets as much energy as it deserves. Especially at the end, I'm going to be talking about a very cool whatnot thing, so let's jump in, see if I can do a decent enough job, and definitely stick around to the end, because there's a very cool thing coming on Friday. First up, the Virtual Boy Homebrew Racer Elevate Speed has just added link play support. So a while back, I talked about this game that I liked very much that felt kind of like what F-Zero would have been like on the Virtual Boy with great music, great graphics. I liked the way it played, and there was only one track because it's still a demo, but now you could play that track against other people. So while I don't have another Virtual Boy fan near me, which stinks, I had Cousin Scott and Destiny in New York, I could have just hopped on a subway and gone over to see, but at the moment, uh, I didn't have any way to do a demo of it, so I just kind of embedded the same video capture from last time, but if you have a Virtual Boy and a Link Cable and a friend, and each of you have a way to run this ROM, then this is definitely a must-play, because it's free, and it gives you a chance to use the Link Cable, which was never even officially released by Nintendo. That was something that was made aftermarket by members of the community, and Homebrew, as well as, I believe, Mario Tennis was hacked in order to use this functionality. So, I do love the Virtual Boy, the, you know, Five games that I you know I would play on it I think are very good and I think it's one of those weird consoles and handhelds whatever you want to call it face helds it's a face held that uh, you know that doesn't really hold up in many situations but totally does in others and this is one of them the only other thing I'd like to politely point out is anytime you see Virtual Boy in 2D it's not the same um, this game uses some very cool effects that when you're looking at it through the Virtual Boy visor it looks way more impressive than just a red 2D capture of it. So um, if you're at all a Virtual Boy fan, at the very least, check out the post in the game. Uh, and if you have a Virtual Boy or two and some link cables, then I would absolutely give this a shot. This week's podcast is once again brought to you by JLC PCB, and this week I want to show you how to make a bill of materials, or a bomb, for use with their PCB assembly service. I started talking about the PCBA process last week, and this week is the bomb, the most boring part. I hate this part so much. But it's no better or worse on any other platform, and JLC PCB offers a bunch of things to try and make it easier. So let me walk you through it real quick. 
So last week I showed how to add an assembly to your PCB order, and I showed uploading a bill of materials as well as a CPL file. Now, your software should generate the pick and place file, so I'm not gonna go into that at all. However, you need to personally create your own bill of materials. And while some software helps for that, you still need to pick the exact part number that goes to the exact pad on the board. And if you've taken the time to add any JLC PCB parts or anything else, they'll auto-populate. Now, while this is my least favorite part of any build, luckily JLC PCB's documentation makes it way easier to have this done. You could have all of these files set up so that most of these are already populated, and all you have to worry about is what's left. And for stuff like the SCART connector, in all honesty, I would leave that blank. I would have them made unpopulated and just solder them yourself. For low quantities of stuff, it's just too much of a pain to try to nail that down and get one from a global distributor. However, if you're making a large quantity of stuff, definitely contact JLCPCB directly. Their staff has been amazing to work with over the years, and I'm sure they'd work something out for larger quantities. But if you're talking about other stuff, that's when you need to figure it out yourself. And for something like the audio jack kit, you could hit search and see if anything pops up. Now, it's pulling this from a place I probably wrote that in the wrong spot. As you can see, I doubled it up. So I'm going to add the part number directly. I'm going to hit search, and nothing's found. Now, if it did find a part number, all I would have to hit is an add button, and it would add it right to the rest of these, and that would be super easy. So luckily, here's another thing that sets JLC PCB apart from a lot of other places. If they don't have this in stock, you could just pre-order it and purchase it. All you have to do is go to their global part sourcing and add the same exact part number to search all of the different distributors. So here's a few different options here, and the minimum order quantity of the first two is 160. So you don't want these unless you're ordering more than 160 boards at a time. For us, we're gonna do the one that's one at a time, and the distributor part number matches up exactly what we had determined previously. So if I'm gonna make five boards, I'm going to make five of these, or I'm gonna add five of these, and then I'll be able to purchase them separately. So basically, all you have to do is purchase through their service the same way you normally would through any of the rest, except it gets shipped to them and attached to your order. After you've selected as many parts as possible, which would normally be completely populated, but we're in the middle of a part shortage, so I'm just gonna have them make as much of this as possible and finish it the rest myself. But you have everything else listed here, so then you could just save to cart and place your order. I'll follow up next week with more info on what happens next, but please keep in mind that what happens today is far different than what might happen when we're not in a part shortage. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just posted a video about an amazing new replacement board for the Nomad handheld console. And I strongly recommend watching the video. I got to make a quick guest appearance in it, but I'll give the short, short version now and then some behind the scenes stuff that I thought would be more appropriate to talk about here than in Tito's video. So first of all, this is a device that replaces the front board of your Nomad and if you wanted to, it could be a no-cut, completely non-destructive mod, or you could add in extra things like region mods uh, and then Sega CD and SMS support. Of course, Sega CD support is via ROM carts. So you can't actually wire this into one, but it would just plug right into it if you wanted to. It has a battery built in and a great screen, 
And I think it is awesome. I think it's the perfect upgrade. And I just love how it's perfectly functional today, but if for whatever reason you wanted to put it back to stock, you very easily could. And even if you did some of those other mods, you're just talking about jumping some traces together and stuff. So really not a big deal. Absolutely recommend the video if you're at all interested. And now for some behind the scenes stuff. Uh, I got to talk to Oleg a little bit, who was awesome. Hopefully I can get him on for an interview at some point. And I also did a full MD4A analysis with the team. And it seemed like there were a few things that were worth discussing. But once again, I felt like it was out of the scope of Tito's video, especially because a lot of the stuff I'm about to say only applies to people who already purchased theirs. <laughs> Does not apply to anybody who buys one in the future. But first of all, as far as audio quality goes, it was very good. Everybody kind of agreed across the board. There was nothing wrong with the audio, except left and right may have been switched on the DIN. So if you already bought one and uh, you output via a SCART cable, you might want to cut some traces and just rewire them. If you output with a composite video cable, which was retained, by the way, you don't lose composite video with this, you just reverse the RCA cables. It's not a big deal at all. Same with the HD retrovisions and stuff. Now, there was no filter option, I believe, which Oleg's looking to add with uh, firmware for existing users and potentially for in the future as well. And there were a few other tweaks with the audio that at the moment, I guess it would perform about as well as a really good Model 2 Genesis, totally stock. But there is potential for this to perform a little bit higher up in the you know M, uh, MD4A analysis scope of things. So I think Oleg's looking into that. But one thing that you have to note is you have to keep realistic expectations with Nomads. They're all going to be a little noisy in the video, and they're all going to be kind of noisy in the audio to a point. Anybody that's hooked really good headphones up to even the best Model 1 Genesis would notice a hum when it's turned on, and the Nomad's not going to be any different. So while I don't want to take away from anything awesome about this board that I, I love, if you haven't figured that out by now, I just want to have realistic expectations. You're not going to buy this board, plug in some nice headphones, and suddenly have a zero noise floor and everything sounds perfect and digital. It's still an analog board, and it's still based on stuff that was meant to be played with those cheap headphones of the 90s. Anybody remember those those circular over-ear pieces of crap that used to come with those knockoff Walkman that I'm sure all of us owned at one point? Like, that's essentially what Sega was targeting when they designed the other board of the Nomad. Uh, they weren't really looking for super high audio and video output. So I wanted to talk about that here because I feel like uh, people who follow this are more on the nerdy side of things. Obviously, I mean that with love and respect. But, uh, you know, I didn't want to bring that up in a more general video where people might have thought, oh, the audio isn't that good. No, no, no. MD4EA is a very strict analysis. So when you start comparing things in that, you're really digging into the little details of things. So I guess I could just kind of sum up the behind the stuff, behind the scenes stuff that we found in... If you already own one of these kits, it's totally fine other than the left and right audio possibly being swapped on the DIN output, not on the headphone output. And I don't think that you would have any reason to upgrade ever to a different version. I think this performs so well 
the model nomad you have would definitely play into that. I've definitely tested nomads um, that were recapped that were noisier than others that were also recapped. So it was kind of a and as much of an apples to apples comparison as I could. And the one that Tito let me borrow to test was on the good side, but it's still something that I think is an upgrade to any existing nomad. You get the battery pack, you get the screen, you get the options, and it did absolutely improve composite video and RGB output as well. So it's an awesome kit. I, I just, as always, whenever I talk about stuff like this, especially when you talk to teams like the MD4EA team, we always see an amazing product and see where it could be tweaked to be even crazier than it already was. So I think the next versions of these, uh, you know, will definitely make sure that the audio is oriented correctly and they might have some tweaks and there might be some existing tweaks. But overall, I think this is an awesome thing that if you have a Nomad, you should absolutely consider, especially because of ease of installation. Tito showed all of the stuff you could do in his video, but you really just, if you wanted to, could unplug the other stuff and then plug this in its place and not really need to do any of that more complicated installs. So um, please check out Tito's video. It was freaking awesome. Thanks to Oleg for for just being patient with us and uh, asking him a million questions about this thing. And hopefully I'll be able to follow up with an interview at some point when these things are available for sale again. And of course, Follow RetroRGB and follow Oleg on Twitter, and as soon as they are available for sale again, we'll be talking about it. Music fans might really be interested in this one. There's a DJ called Deadco? Deedico? I'm sorry, everybody knows how bad I am at these things, but there is a DJ out there that is mixing electronic music with video game music and putting their own unique take on it. And I really liked listening to some of these songs. Uh, the Wipeout soundtrack, I thought, came out really great. So if you're into music and you're into video games and you want to kind of hear somebody's spin on it, ugh, that was a gross joke. I should leave the dad jokes to Pushing Up Roses, but <laughs> she does them so much better. But, uh, you know, all kidding aside, if you you're a fan of music and you're a fan of video games, check out this channel and see what you think. Music is obviously subjective, so there's nothing wrong with loving it or hating it or anything in between, but I do think it's worth a chance uh, if you are into this type of stuff. So check out Andrew's post for all the info that you would need on it, as well as links to everywhere you could find DJ Deedco. And uh, we'll, of course, keep everybody updated if there's anything especially unique um, one of the things that I think was pretty cool is a bunch of the videos were filtered with a VHS aesthetic. So it's like, if, if you watch, it's kind of like, wait, was this recorded back in the day and re-uploaded? And, you know, it kind of takes a second to realize there's a filter on it. So it was a neat take on it. But if you're interested, definitely check out Andrew's post and hopefully you like the music too. There's now a web-based save game conversion tool that allows you to convert between quite a few different formats. It works by taking the original file and converting it to a raw file, if you will, and then you could convert it from there to any other format that is currently supported. And this is something that I think is pretty cool for gamers, but an essential tool for any kind of content creators. Because anybody that's seen any comparisons I usually do with Super Nintendo includes that shot of Link. But that's not the very first shot. That's right after you're able to get, uh, right after you save, and then you could choose between which location you want to start from. So without a save file, I would have had to have played, you know, 
a half hour of the game, if not more, every single time I wanted to get to that exact spot so that I could have Link standing there with the sword and everything. So being able to convert save files between formats when necessary is super important to pretty much all retro gaming content creators. But if you're also a nerd like me who thinks it's fascinating and and also a little bit obsessive to start a game on a ever drive on your nomad and then bring it over to a mister on a you know on your flat panel tv and then end it on an original genesis on a crt with composite or something like if you're that type of person you might want to use this tool to create your save file and bring it between different platforms with you now there was a save file tool that was created uh, i think two years ago by uh, risha and then super g who allowed us to convert genesis saves between platforms but this web-based tool is really aiming to do a lot more than that so thank you very much to the developer who took the time out to do this i believe they're also aware of the genesis tool conversion tools so hopefully all of that stuff could be rolled into this and i just think that Little things like this are so much more helpful than they seem on the surface. So if you want, or if you have any desire of continuing your game on different platforms, definitely check out this post and, of course, the website. I recently posted a video called Myth Busting Display Lag, where I attempted to clarify some of the most basic and common misconceptions about how displays work, how latency is involved, and how it would apply to any gamer, including modern and retro. So hopefully this is one of those videos that could break the boundaries of retro, maybe I could crack YouTube's algorithm for once, and share this with people to give them a general sense of what to expect. I think the video did a decent enough job, but there are some things that I would certainly love to clarify with all of you who are listening, and that while, yes, it was a limited set of test devices, as I said a few times in the video, the knowledge and all of the different things that I had talked about were the result of 10 plus years of testing lag displays, working with some of the best gamers on the planet to determine where it affects you in the most scenarios. So it was one of those things where I guess if you were only sort of paying attention, you could very easily be like, how the heck is he going to come to conclusions about lag testing six panels? That was not it at all. This is just me showing the most common examples with the equipment I had, but reflects on years of testing hundreds of these panels. Um, I think also the video set the stage for a follow-up uh, probably not anytime soon, but also how 120 and 144 hertz displays would affect all of this stuff. Um, and I do think it's a pretty safe bet if you're running on one of those displays that that works faster than 60 hertz. If you feed it a 1080p or 4K or any kind of 60 hertz signal, it's probably not going to be crazy with lag and it's not going to be as bad as the example shown here. So I think it was a pretty good route as to you know what to expect and a, a general sense of what display lag might be like. I also did a podcast with Nick and Zach, Nick from HD Retrovision and Voltar, where we basically just talked about the video and our thoughts on display lag. And I know a few people were a little upset that we didn't show more examples and get deep into explaining the technical side on this, but that kind of wasn't the purpose. This was kind of just us giving our thoughts, not so much on the video, but on display lag in general, uh, how we think our experience works with these different kind of display lag scenarios. I definitely thought it was interesting talking about the upside down panel thing. That was one of those moments where as soon as Zach said it, I was like, oh, I should have known that. It probably is what it was. So we had a good time. We laughed a lot in that one too. There's always 
cracks me up. There's always people that just don't understand that Zach and I are friends and we like shitting on each other. There are people whose minds are just blown that we would talk to each other like that in a podcast. And, you know, I guess if you offend easy by things that aren't even trigger topics, then don't watch it. But if you just like a lot of nerdiness mixed in with a little bit of silliness, this one is is definitely for you because we really just kind of dug in on that. Um, I will have a follow-up that is a deep dive technical explanation on some of the faster display panel stuff. But for now, I definitely recommend the myth busting display lag video to anybody who's curious. And heck, if you're bored and in your car or walking on your commute, listen to the podcast as well, because I think that does bring up some interesting discussion topics and, and kind of makes you think about some of the things that we always say about display lag that may or may not apply in different ways in like a real life experience of it. And now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retrosource. As usual, I'm just going to skim through these, and if you hear anything that applies to whatever you like to use your Mr. for, please go back to Lou's post and especially Lou's video to get all of the details on this, and don't forget to subscribe to Lou as well. Starting us out, Hotego just released a few more cores for Patreon subscribers, Hypercore, Hypersports, and Forgotten Worlds. Also, there is an alpha core released for the game Terra Cresta, which is a vertically scrolling shooter. I really like those types of games. Um, There's also a Mr. FPGA CRT guide being created. And I'm normally skeptical of this stuff because there is a lot that goes into connecting things to CRTs, but the Mr. Team is always solid. So if you are looking to connect your Mr. to a CRT, this is a good place to start. Um, I have a video half prepped and ready to go. I just have to finish it off. I'll get there someday. It's not enough hours in the day. Um, Also, there's yet another option for using the MT32Pi on your Mr. Um, There's a different version that supports network MIDI via raw UDP socket, which is pretty cool. Um, I have not had time to jump into any of the MIDI stuff. Hopefully, uh, Danielle or Vanessa or any of the crew here that uses them would care to do a video on this someday because I think I would love a beginner-focused video on that both so you could just kind of quickly see how you set it up and so you could hear examples. Maybe Lou already did one. Sorry, Lou, if I missed that. I I subscribe, I watch your videos, but I might have missed that one if you did. My apologies. Um, Also, there's some new NES mappers added. And just a very quick overview, mappers are ways to emulate the chips that came on NES carts. So some of the first NES games ever made really just had a ROM on it, essentially. But some of the later games, most notably ones like Super Mario 3, had an extra chip that allowed enhancements in that, which is why later NES games could look so much better than earlier ones. So some more mappers were added now uh, to increase the support to a, a very large amount. There is also a new help menu system where you could view help documentation for cores. Uh, I think this stuff is really cool, and I especially hope that there is a way to easy jump into shortcuts and stuff like that. The one thing I always forget, even though it's something I use all the time, is how to do the auto fire. I really wish there was like a help menu or even an on-screen display to set auto fire rather than a button combination. But hey, baby steps, and this is a great step forward. There's also a bunch of miscellaneous fixes for a ton of the major console and handheld cores, as well as stuff like the 486 core and the Mr. Main software. I do remember seeing the posts from Sorg coming across Patreon, and 
it really seems like this is one of those updates that you should take the time to do. Just run your favorite script. I still use update all. Uh, give it some time because whenever there's a main core update, a lot of stuff gets siphoned in with that and see what you got afterwards. So thanks very much to Lou to keep us all in the loop. And uh, as always, thanks to everybody involved in Mister because I love that project. So last week I talked about the Waska expansion cart for the Sega Saturn, which at the moment, the thing that sets it apart for most other expansion carts is the ability to play Heart of Darkness, the unreleased game that requires extra memory, but it had a very ambitious roadmap and it was something that I thought had so much potential and I thought if you had a few changes to it, it could even open up the doors for even more potential. And apparently the developer Hitomi2500 was also thinking along parallel lines because they've already announced the next version of it, which includes Wi-Fi support, which is so exciting because that means it has at least the potential for future RetroNAS support if ODE functionality is added, which means if that ODE functionality eventually gets put into it, you could stream games from your PC wirelessly to your Saturn, which I think is such a time saver and an organizational saver. Just a really cool thing to add to something that I hope all ROM carts and ODEs get at some point. Also, the way they approached this was pretty awesome. And as a a nerd who is both on the development side and has worked on the manufacturing side, I love the way they tackled this. Rather than redesign the entire board... They uh, in with all new and different chips, they use something called the Ice Sugar Pro, which essentially looks like a laptop RAM stick. So like a DDR2 RAM stick for a laptop, it's the same slot and it looks the same, but rather than have RAM on it, it has an FPGA and some other chips. I believe it also has a USB port and a micro SD slot. I could be wrong, but I think that's such an awesome move for a bunch of reasons. But even in manufacturing, you never know what's going to go wrong with the manufacturing run. It happens. And when you do something like that, if you have a bunch of very expensive chips that are all surface mount and really need to be manufactured in a professional environment, not hand soldered, if you have something go wrong, you could potentially lose a lot of that and a lot of money. Whereas if you have it modulized like this, I think it's, you know, you're way more likely to say, okay, I'm going to make 500 of these, not 50. I'll get the cost savings on it. And, you know, we'll buy 50 of the FPGA modules. And if they don't sell, that sucks a lot, but it sucks way less than if you had to fork out all that money for the FPGAs. So long-term, I think this was such a good move. Uh, and I'm really just excited to see where this project goes next. So, you know, thanks to the Sega Saturn Shiro crew for keeping us updated on this stuff. I would have never known about it if it wasn't for them. And I'm sure they'll be keeping us updated in the future as to it as well. As soon as they're up for pre-order or anything like that, I will definitely be buying one. And once again, if you're a developer that loves the Saturn and knows how to program FPGAs, please at least take a look at this project. It's open source and it's something that I think has the potential potential to be the next big thing with the Saturn. If you don't want to wait for that, there's already awesome ODEs available right now. The Satiator doesn't even need installation. It just plugs in. The Fenrir is super easy, and you could even use it with the original optical drive. And there's a whole bunch of other options as well now. So uh, if you're a fan of the Saturn, it's a really good time for you. But hopefully the Waska cart could achieve at least some of its pretty ambitious goals and, and kind of work out to be something that we use for new homebrew stuff in the future. 
All right, this Friday is going to be a pretty big deal on whatnot as they're having a retail rally. If you're not sure if you care or not, give me like 20 seconds and then I'll tell you when you could drop off. But basically, whatnot does something that they call the retail rally, where they take a bunch of products that are very popular and usually sell for quite a bit, and they get them through different sellers to sell them at about what they would have been for retail at the time. So how does that apply to us? Well, Mad World of Gaming is selling complete-in-box SNES carts for $50, and some of the games go for a lot more than that. So if you're into any of this stuff at all, please sign up through the link at retrorgb.link forward slash whatnot, because you get $10 off your first purchase. Also makes me look good too, which is not a bad thing if you, if you don't mind, but more importantly, you get 10 bucks off, and I'm going to be doing a sale before that. Now, if you don't really care anymore, feel free to drop off. The podcast is pretty much over after this. But if you're curious as to the weird shit that I'm going to be selling, stick around for a few minutes here. So, as usual, I don't really fit in at whatnot because I'm not a video game store. I don't have a continuous stream of games to sell through. But I do have a bunch of weird stuff that sometimes people really dig. Sometimes not. That's fine, too. And this week, I figured I would do a creators-themed one, where I could sell off some stuff that I've used, I don't use anymore for a number of reasons, and that might help somebody else. Now, I'm specifically doing this two hours before the Mad World of Gaming sale, so that I don't interfere with them. I will absolutely be moving over to that afterwards. Hopefully, sellers are eligible to, to buy that stuff, too. Um, And hopefully you all will join me. But if you want to jump in early, I'll start at 6.30 Eastern time. I'm going to run through what I'm going to be selling just as kind of a preview. And of course, I'll give a lot more details then. Um, The big item, which might not even sell because I can't lose my shirt on this one. This was very, it was over 700 bucks when I bought it. But a Zoom F6 32-bit floating point audio recorder with six XLR inputs, battery operated time codes. So you could link it to any video that you're recording. You could strap it to your belt. You put it on a desk. It is like the pro portable recorder. I love this thing, but I just don't do in-person interviews anymore. So it's just, it's a very awesome device that never gets used, which is sad to me. Uh, I also am selling a kit that has two road labs in it, which I used to use with that. And here's a tip, even if you couldn't give a shit about anything that I'm selling, um, I have the Rode Smart Lav, which could plug into your cell phone or plug into any other device. I've used the cell phone before in a pinch, and man, that was helpful. It also has the adapter, so it goes from TRRS to TRS. And it has the XLR adapter, so that you could use that with the Zoom F6, the Motu M4, whatever you got. But I also have extension cables. And that's the trick that I would love everybody to learn, because uh, I learned it the hard way. If you have a lav mic, you think that there's enough slack to go into your pocket, into your recorder, or you think there's enough slack to go into the interface on the table, but there just never is. And something always goes wrong. And I've pulled the lav mic out in interviews a couple times. I've unplugged it by accident. So always get yourself some kind of extension cable, or you could go wireless, but you know, us nerds are very distrustful of wireless and it's very expensive. So always have some kind of extension cable. And whenever I switched to, I would plug the lav mic into the extension cable. I'd have the extension cable in my pocket and only run however, you know, maybe with a little extra slack to the device. 
such a huge help. That is just a tip I would want to give everybody that use wired lav mics for a couple of bucks. Get yourself a quality extension cable and never worry about that stuff again. Also have a, a dual lighting kit with AC adapters and batteries. Such a help, especially anything from light boxes to interviews to just stuff like this. Uh, the only reason I'm selling this one is because I want the super, super thin ones because of the way this works in my setup here. I can't really place these ones on the stand. I won't have to like tape it to the wall or something. Uh, also having a shotgun mic that I used as a backup in a couple of interviews. And the way that I, the, the most notable one was when I did an interview with Renee and my Tascam recorder, which is long gone, but that thing was solid and it didn't record after a certain point for me, even though I had the hold button on. It was the only time that thing failed, so I had to default to the shotgun mic. Um, so this one has the mount on it where you can put it on your camera, or you could just buy one of those cheap adapters and put it on its own stand, but that is very handy. Um, it's not nearly as good as the Deity S mic that I'm using now, but it's also less than a third of the price, so there you go. Um, I have a Lytro 8 gigabyte camera. Those are those no-focus cameras where you take a picture and then you choose your focus afterwards. What an awesome piece of equipment. I'm shocked I didn't implement that into more of my, my daily use case. And then I have an Epson all-in-one printer. Why the hell am I selling a printer? Because I don't use it. It's got a whole bunch of ink in it, and it was amazing at printing on CDs. It has its own tray that allows you to do that. So if you wanted an all-in-one printer, you know, this is probably the one to pick up uh, if you need to print on CDs as well. And of course, I have a bunch of other random stuff as well as some very cheap HDMI repeaters Woozle gave me a long time. Uh, those are some $1 items because if you know you want some of the heavier stuff, whatnot does, uh, you pay for shipping on your first item and then it's $1 for each additional item afterwards. So if you wanted that heavy printer or the big ass light set, or I guess the zoom isn't that heavy, but whatever, Grab one of those HDMI repeaters first so that you don't have to spend any more money than you have to on shipping. So uh, I hope to see everybody there. I've been really enjoying doing these. I like the platform. I think it's a lot of fun. And uh, it's just way better than some nameless, faceless person on eBay where you don't know if you're getting scammed. Or on the flip side, if you're a buyer, you really know what you're getting when you go to one of my streams. You might be a little bored sometimes because I like to explain and, and make sure that everybody knows exactly what they're getting, but you're, there's no surprises when something shows up at your place. So hopefully I could see you all there. Um, once again, 6.30 p.m. this Friday for my weird creator sale. And then as soon as that's over, I'm going to do a hard stop at like 8.25 to give us all more than enough time to just switch over to Mad World of Gaming so we could check out the Super Nintendo game uh, retail rally for $50 each. So how'd I do? I didn't make it too far through the beer because for whatever reason, this one was sticking to my throat, making it a little hard to talk, but I still had a blast as usual. And hopefully I gave each section the amount of attention it deserved. And hopefully I didn't make any more mistakes than I usually would. But anyway, as always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to everybody who supports in any way possible, because it is you who makes the website, the live streams, the podcast, and all of the crazy behind the scenes stuff possible. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you soon. <laughs>